are continuing our series and actually concluding our series, I Didn't Ask For It, and uh, give you a, a quick review on this series. I just want to remind you that I, I just believe God is doing something in us. That's, I just believe this series, something is going on that will change our church forever. And uh, it came from my heart attack. Uh, I had that heart attack on December 11th. It really woke me up, and I can remember saying, God, I didn't ask for this. And from that, God just downloaded so many good things, and I've been passing on much of it to you, and I'm sure there's going to be more to come. Um, but in week one, we talked about that we're asking the wrong question. How many remember week one? We're asking the wrong question. We're asking why instead of what for. We're like, why, why, why? We're trying to assign blame. And God's like, stop trying to assign blame. Stop, stop trying to figure it out and look forward. What's this forward? Let's move that way. So we talked about that in week one. And then in week two, last week, we talked about um, black envelopes. I think I started a new cultural expression uh, around River Valley Church with black envelopes, things we didn't ask for, black envelopes that don't look good, but that God is able to turn around for his glory. And uh, it was interesting, after the sermon, my mom was like, that was a really good sermon. And, and just so you know, she doesn't say that every week, just so you know. And, uh, you know, she said, that was a really good sermon. She goes, you should send everyone in the church a black envelope. And I was like, no, we don't want to do that, no. She's like, well, it's like a, a sermon illustration. I said, no, no, no. So I'm going to send my mom a black envelope. All right, but... But her point was, I want a black envelope on my refrigerator to remind me that the bad things in life, God can turn around for good. And, and I think we're grabbing that, that God can turn around our bad things, our black envelopes, and use them for good. And I want to be very clear. I want to pick up from that and then jump in now. I want to be very clear, because I don't think I was very clear last week. Um, our God is not a vindictive God. Our God is not a vindictive God, and black envelopes aren't like his thing, like, well, look at him, let's send him a black envelope, all right, it, or like, oh, come on, look at them, punished, you know, he didn't do his devotions today, black envelope for him, you know, and sometimes we think that way, and so I want to be very clear, I don't want you to think that God is looking to send you black envelopes as a vindictive, mean punishing God. And I know that a lot of people feel that way, especially people that aren't in church that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They, they have an idea that God is out there and he's mad at them, and for sure he's going to send them black envelopes, so they just try to stay out of his sight or something, and they try not to cause a scene, and they don't realize that God sees everything, and he really is a loving Heavenly Father. And if you don't believe that, just read through the Bible. It's oozing and oozing, love, love, love. And every time we do something wrong, he's coming to look for us. Okay, so grab that. He is not a mean, vindictive God just waiting to send bad things on you. That's not what he does. Does God use the black envelopes for his glory? Yes. Does he cause the black envelopes? No. I don't believe he's like, all right, now I'm... Bam! Okay? But here's, the, here's where it's like the struggle. Does God allow the black envelopes? Yes. And then some people say, well, if he allows them, doesn't that really mean like he's causing them? And how many know there's a tension that he's allowing these things to come into our life? He's allowing a battle bigger than our life to happen for his glory and it just, it starts to bother us. We, we're like, no black envelopes, God, no black envelopes. But yet you talk to anybody that's been through a black envelope of life, a trial, a struggle, uh, a tragedy, a disease, any, and all of a sudden they're like, I, I understand God in a greater way. And then in the weirdest way, I wouldn't wish away my black envelope, but we can get mad that he allows them. But I just, 
my theology would be this. The best way I could say it on black envelopes in God is it's like, it's like vaccinations, okay? When you bring your child in for a vaccination, how many know that you are allowing them to inflict some pain on your child? And your child's happy, and all of a sudden you're allowing them, but you know that in allowing them to inflict the pain, it's doing a greater good than if they caught the disease, and so you allow it even though they scream at you and feel like you betrayed them. And that's why Becca sent me, you know, and I had to do it, you know? So I have a vaccination theology with this. I, I, I've, I've, I would call it a surgery theology. My, my thinking about God and understanding about God with black envelopes is that it's like surgery. There's, there are worse things in our life, and so he makes the incision to remove the bad things. And yes, he had to make an incision, but it was to get rid of the worst thing. Does that make sense? I would allow a doctor to inflict. Did it hurt when they worked on my heart? You bet. You bet. It hurt. And, and it, I was like, oh, my goodness, this, th it hurt. There were things that were going on, and they're injecting me with dye, and they're doing all these things. But I was glad they were doing that because the hurt they were inflicting was way less than the hurt that my heart attack was inflicting. So I hope you understand this. I have a vaccination theology, a surgery theology, and I, I know that God uses them. I know that he allows it. I don't believe he punished the slam, 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 but it feels like it because in our disobedience, sometimes these black envelopes happen, and then we feel like, well, then, yeah, he was just bam, and I, 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 I hope that makes sense. It's a surgery vaccination theology, and I want to give a couple of scriptures to help you to understand this. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says this, Peter's writing, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, Peter is saying there's something going on. You're, you're suffering trials and you're having bad things happen. But in these trials, there are good things that are coming from it. And I'll just quickly touch on a couple things. He says there are various trials. Okay? Your trials are not the same as my trials, nor your neighbor's trials. And sometimes we want to trade black envelopes, but they're different. They're different, and there's various, and there's a whole arsenal of things that you have to go through, and each one of us goes through different things. And Peter says, there are all sorts of different tiles, and he says, they're brief. And, and, I, and I, this is really real, and I know this hits people, because somebody might say, I have a chronic illness. I've suffered with this my whole life. What do you mean it's brief? What do you mean it's brief? But in light of eternity, it's brief, okay? Eternity versus not, but you're like, but I've had it my whole life. I understand that. And, I, and I'm not trying to minimize it, but we've got to take the long view of this, the long view of it. And Peter's like, it's just, it's a brief thing. It's for here, and your life is a vapor, so don't, you know, it's just brief. And for some, it's even shorter. It's not your whole life. And then he says, you're going to suffer grief. And uh, again, I love this, that God does not ask us to deny that it hurts. He's like, you're going to suffer through the grief of these various trials, and it hurts. It hurts. It's okay to say, I don't like this. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, to say, this hurts. 
this hurts. But he's saying it, it's, it's gonna, you're going to suffer. It's going to be some grief in there. It's brief. It's various trials. And he says it's going to refine us. And I believe this. There are some virtues that only come through the black envelopes of life. There are some things that you go through the pain and the suffering and all of a sudden you have more virtue in you and you are more like Jesus and you have a greater understanding of what he went through and so your, your character builds, your godliness builds and you become a different person. And he says, you're being refined, you're being refined. And then he says like, there's a day coming for praise. There's a day coming for praise. And I couldn't help but think about this, that there's a day that God's gonna say, well done. You fought through it. Man, that was a black envelope. Man, and you really brought glory for me. You know what I got for you? You're like, what? I've got the bronze star medal. And you're like, dang, I mean, it, you get like the highest medal, you got the bronze star medal. And then you're like, and you served and you were wounded and you say, I got a purple heart for you. Wow. And he says, there's a day coming that he's, when he appears and he's like, it's going to be a day that he's going to say, well done, you made it through, you, you, you did it, you fought valiantly, you did it. And, and I love what Peter says to us, various trials, brief, suffer, you're going to suffer grief, they're going to refine you, but there is praise coming, there's a, a well done coming at the end of this. And I love what Billy Graham said about going through trials and tests. He said this, he said, God doesn't test us because he doesn't know how strong we are. He tests us because we don't know how strong we are. It's not like God's like, well, let's just see what Rob's made of. He's like, as Rob goes through this, he's going to see what he's made of. And he's going to ask me for more strength. And he's going to ask me for more grace. And he's going to turn to me more. You see what I'm saying? Or he's going to say, he's going to understand that I've called him to step out in faith. And he's going to see that I will supply his need in that moment. And as he goes through that trial, there were trial after trial after trial that I went through. And I, I went through all these trials uh, starting this church. And I can tell you this, I found out many times what I was made of. And I found out I was pretty small and insignificant. And that God was big and I was small. But as long as I held on to God, together we were big. There were other times that I went through it and all of a sudden I realized, you know what? I've got something here. I, I, I can do this. I've got something to say. There's, there's something through this trial and I can help and minister to people. And so I thank God that he shows us what we're made of and he shows us what he's made of through the trials. Now, when your faith is under fire, again, I just want to be very clear, very clear. You're not doing anything wrong. Many times you're not doing anything wrong, all right? and I can prove it with a story in the Bible or just an example, let me just use the life of Jesus. Did Jesus do anything wrong while he lived on this earth? No. Everybody's like, trick question. And the answer's no, all right? One person at campus here got it right. Hopefully you got it, all right, all right. So, all right. so he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. The Bible said he's sinless. Did God allow the pain and suffering that Jesus went through? Yes, he did. Okay, so he allowed it. Was it part of a bigger plan? Yes, it was. It was part of a bigger plan. It was part of bringing us forgiveness. Could God have stopped it? Yes, he could have. Jesus is like, if there's any way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He's like, Jesus is like, I could have called the angels, a legion of angels. I could have had them here and stopped this. Like, I'm submitting to the bigger plan here. Aren't you glad that God didn't stop it and that Jesus didn't stop it because it led to your forgiveness, my forgiveness? Again, he didn't do anything wrong. And he suffered a painful death by dying on the cross. 
And the result is way greater than the, suffer, uh, than the suffering. Philippians says this, and being found in the appearance of man, it's speaking about Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In light of eternity, in light of our salvation, in light of all the good that Jesus was able to bring through all of that suffering, three days looks pretty short compared to the eternity, compared to the glory that was a, the pain that he endured for those days looks pretty short compared to what we got in on and what his name means now and how amazing the name of Jesus is. Now for us, we've got to realize this. As we, we look at Jesus, he didn't do anything wrong, but... For us, let me just help you to realize this. Your worst day, your worst black envelope can become your best day eventually. Your worst day, your worst black envelope can become your best day eventually. Now, I've seen this with friends of mine. I have some friends, uh, the Donaldson brothers. I think we have a picture of them, the Donaldson brothers. Um, these guys actually founded uh, Convoy of Hope. And uh, you may not realize this, but in, in, 1960s, in the 1960s, uh, their dad was tragically killed in a car crash. Hal, uh, the guy right here, he was uh, two years old at the time. And it seemed like their worst day, and it really was. It spiraled them into poverty. And in their poverty, somebody came along and ministered to them and took care of them. And the church loved them. Okay? They found Christ. They found hope. And then these guys come along and say, hey, we need to give hope. Let's start giving hope. And they got a beat-up old pickup truck and started delivering groceries. That led to Convoy of Hope, which now to this day has helped 63 million people and they've given away $402 million of humanitarian aid. Their worst day led to their best day eventually. Now, they lived through grief. It was pain. It was struggle. And I want you to, that was a black envelope day. But I can tell you this, their worst day eventually became their best day. They have now met with the president of the United States. They meet with kings and rulers. They've led so many people to faith in Jesus Christ because they said, this will not define us. This will not define us in a bad way, but it will propel us into the what for, God. What for? What are we going to do with this? God can bring your worst day to be your best day eventually. Now, I will say this, it, it takes a while. It takes a while, and I believe this. Um, our worst day becomes our best day, but we have to discover it on our own. How many know what I'm talking about? Please, 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 when somebody's going through a tragedy, do not jump to, you know, your best day can be right ahead. Your worst day can, you know, this is a black envelope, but you open up and there's shiny things inside. Do not do that. Okay, do not quote in Romans 8, and we know that all things work together for good, and this is going to work out for good. Do not do that because they will punch you, and your pastors will not chastise them, okay? We will not get mad at them. We'll say, yeah, you kind of had it coming, all right? Don't do that, all right? In order for them to get there, they've got to discover it on their own. You've got to discover it 
not hear about it. So if anybody's going through their black envelope of life, here's my advice for you. Hold your words. Hold your words. Cry with them. Pray with them. Hug them. Love them. Listen to them. And do not preach to them. And don't talk about the best day ahead. Instead, let them live in the trial and the grief, knowing that the body of Christ loves them, and they're going to have to discover it. And if you say, you know, your best day is up ahead, your worst day is going to be your best day, if you say that, I, I, you're, you're almost going to stunt it. It's going to go backwards, and they're going to stiff arm, and they're going to stiff arm. They've got to hear it on their own. God's got to break through to them, and they need to know that the body of Christ is there, and that their pain matters, their suffering matters, their person they lost matters, and all that makes sense to them that the body is not trying to tell them, like, forget about this. It hurts. It hurts. And let them discover their best day on their own. Now, uh, 2 Samuel 9, I, I want to get to this story, and I've been wanting to get to it the whole series. 2 Samuel 9, I want to get to a guy whose worst day eventually became his best day. And if there's anybody that didn't ask for it, it's a guy by the name of Mephibosheth, okay? Uh, That's not a popular name, but it's a good guy. Mephibosheth, and it's hard to say, you know, but... All right, I want to read this for you. I'll just read the story, and the story will just, even in the scriptures, will minister to you. It says, King David, so let me just stop for a second. King David was king of Israel, and he's now the king. It was Saul, then Jonathan, and now David. David is the new king. And it says, King David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? Remember, Saul was the first king of whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake, his son. Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Now, let me just stop there for just a minute. So Ziba's like, I know of this kid. Um, it's Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson, and he's alive. He's the last one, but he's lame in both feet. Now, if you were reading through the Bible, you would see that a few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel 4, it said that when Saul died and Jonathan died, they die on the same day. The family was afraid that if David became king, he would kill the rest of the family because that was the custom in those days. Kings would kill the rest of the family because they didn't want anyone to have a coup and come up against them. And so they're like, let's kill the rest of the family and start new with my family. So what happens is somebody grabs Mephibosheth, the nurse does, and she starts to run out of the house. And according to 2 Samuel 4.4, uh, 4, she's running, she trips and drops and breaks both of Mephibosheth's legs. But because she's fleeing and running for their life, she doesn't bring him to the doctor. And how many know if you don't set the legs and you don't do it right, now he's going to be crippled and he's going to have deformed legs the rest of his life. But of course, she's thinking, I can't go to the doctor. The doctor will probably tell the king, and then the king will know where to kill him. And so we're just going to go, and at least he's alive with crippled legs. I'm sure she felt horrible for falling and, and crushing his legs. So that's giving you a little bit of the story. And then it says, Jonathan had a, a son, a son of Saul, had a son, or I'm sorry, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, okay? So this is what happens. Verse four, it says, where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. 
And I, and I know it's Lodabar, but I like Lodbar, all right? So from now on, I'm going to call it Lodbar. And even though I know I'm pronouncing it wrong, I like it better that way, all right? All right. So King David had him brought from Lodbar, from the house of Maker and a son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show your kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And that means skipping down to uh, verse 13, and it says, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he was all, and he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Now, just let me help you out with this. Mephibosheth did nothing wrong. He didn't ask for it. He didn't ask for it. He, he was just a kid, five years old. His grandfather and his dad die on the same day. A nurse is trying to save his life. She falls, breaks both legs, no doctor, and now he's lame for the rest of his life. And he, does it. he didn't ask for it. He did nothing wrong. Nothing. And yet now he's living crippled. And he's living in the city of Lodbar. Again, that's the way I want to say it. All right? Lodbar, it means barren. It means not having any pastures. It means depressed city. It was a depressed place to go. And I don't even want to fill in the name of a city that is depressed, but I mean, there's all sorts of cities, and you're like, where are you from? So-and-so, I'm from here, and they're like, really? Wow, that's a bad place. I mean, that was what they'd say about Lodbar. It was just a bad place. It was barren. It was sad. All the uh, people with limps, all the lame, all the broken, all the dysfunctional, all the losers went to Lodbar. Matter of fact, their high school, they were known as the Lodbar losers, okay? I'm just letting you know. That was their mascot, and they did this. It wasn't horns, it was load bar losers, and they couldn't even get the L's in the right direction. That's how they did it. Okay, so those are those guys. He says in verse 8, he says, what do you, why would you even care for me? I'm a dead dog. Okay, culturally, dogs were bad in their culture, and a dead dog was worse. Okay, we have dogs, and we adore dogs, and if you're smart, you adore dogs and not cats. But anyways, um, <laughs> Dogs were bad there. And he's like, why would you even care for me? I'm like a dead dog. Do you not see? Like, I'm lame. I, got no, I live in Lodbar. I'm in Lodbar. I got nothing for you, David. I don't even have a clue why you would even want to help me. And David's like, don't you understand? Like, I, I want to be good to you. This is grace, which is amazing. It's really a type of Jesus, like giving us something we don't deserve. You are a Lodbar loser in case you didn't know it. And God shows up with grace and gives you grace. And I'm telling you what, this church is full of load bar losers, and I thank God for it. Nobody at this campus like that, all right? They're like, you are. You are a load bar loser, and thank God for it. And I would say this, I would be afraid of a church that didn't have enough losers in it. No, I'm serious. If a church looks too perfect, I don't know that I'd join that one. I'd want to go in and go, there are Load bar losers here. I'm welcome. All right. Because that, you know, I love it that God says, I'm going to give you grace. You don't deserve this. Yes, you think you're from a loser, load bar loser. But guess what? I love you just the way you are, but I love you so much that I'm not going to leave you there. And I'm going to form you into my image, and I'm going to change you. Welcome to the family. And you're thinking, really? I'm a dead dog? I, seriously, I didn't even ask for this. 
and I'm just living, and I'm living this perpetual brokenness. I'm living in not worthy, and now you're throwing all this on me. This is amazing. And what was his worst thing becomes his best thing. And you say, how in the world does that work for him? Had he not been born and, and had this problem when he was five and become lame, how many know that somebody that would have been mad at David would have said, hey, what do you say we go get Mephibosheth? He's the rightful ruler. Let's go follow Mephibosheth and let's see if he can start a coup against David. Let's see if we can rally against David. But how many know because Mephibosheth is lame, they're like, hey, let's go rally. No, not behind the guy in the wheelchair. All right, what are we going to do? Who's going to be our, you see what I'm saying? And what disqualified him from being rebellious all of a sudden kept him alive and all of a sudden now he's in the king's presence and the Bible says, according to the verse, it says, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He went from out to in, and his worst day becomes his best day, but there was a lot of time in there eventually. And I'm telling you this, your worst day can lead to your best day eventually. And I've seen this over and over in our church, and I asked our church for a few of these stories, and I want to share some of them with you. I want to let you know that just this past Thanksgiving, the Buchanan family lost their son, Elijah. He ran away unexpectedly, and he uh, died of hypothermia. If you remember, Thanksgiving was tragically cold. This happened right in Egan. They go to our Egan campus. It was very tragic and very sad, and in their pain and their suffering, and I'm telling you this, this is very fresh. They uh, were contacted by the Pioneer Press, and the Pioneer Press did a story about them and their pain and their suffering. And here are Ken and Melanie. They're on the cover of the Pioneer Press praying, praying and saying, in our pain and in our agony, our black envelope of life, we're trying to bring hope to people. We're trying to bring hope to families that are suffering. And, and it's so fresh even. And they're like, oh my goodness, we, we, we can't stay in load bar we got to move on with God and figure out how he wants to take our black envelope and use it for his glory and for his honor. And they've started a thing called Divine Fingerprints. And they're trying to say, God, how are you at work in our pain? Still real. They still hurt. Talk to them this week. They're still hurting. But they're saying, we refuse to live in load bar in the black envelope. And we've got to move forward. God, what for? How can we help people? The Just Family. The Just Family, I think we have a picture of them here. The Just Family came up to me in this series, and they said, um, you won't believe this. We had a black envelope 10 years ago. Our son died. He's not the one in the picture. They said our son died 10 years ago in a, in a motorcycle accident. It was our black envelope. And they said, and we just grieved that we lost our son in a motorcycle accident. But they said, through that, God just said, what do you want to do for me with this? Like, how can we move forward? And so they started raising money to give pastors in third world uh, countries motorcycles to get around on, knowing that they didn't have cars and didn't have any form of transportation. They said, we can take our black envelope and instead use it for God's glory. And to date, they've given 77 motorcycles to pastors in third world countries. And I just want to announce this. Um, I think they're about 2,000 apiece, the motorcycles. River Valley wants to make it 78 motorcycles. I want in on redeeming your black envelope, and uh, the church does too. So as part of Kingdom Builders, we're going we're gonna to buy a motorcycle for them and make a difference and move them beyond their black envelope. There's others. 
um, Stevie Nelson. Stevie Nelson, amazing guy. I don't know if you know Stevie. He's at our Apple Valley campus. He was serving in our military and uh, had a stroke. And you know what he said? He said, the, I had a stroke, but the stroke didn't have me. And he said, I refuse to live in Lodbar. I refuse to live in that place. I'm going to take this and use it for God's glory. And he now works with the uh, Heart Association and helped us in week one of this series to have people at every campus talking about uh, our heart health. And he travels around the nation helping people to stay alive and to be heart healthy. And I'm going to tell you this, he's the happiest greeter in our church. And uh, it'd be worth a visit to our Apple Valley campus when we finish construction to just be greeted by Stevie. Because if you're greeted by him and you're not happy afterwards, go for prayer. I'm just saying. <laughs> that man refuses to live in Lodbar. Um, we have Anna King. Anna King. And um, she's our, at our Edina area campus. And uh, she's been suffering chronic pain for four years. The doctors have not been able to figure out why she's been suffering in this chronic pain. And so she continues to love Jesus and just press through the pain. And she said, I want to start a ministry to help people. And she's got a blog she's working on and Facebook things to help people to have hope. Because hope doesn't live in load bar. Hope says, come to the king's table. And she's like, I want to help people to come to the king's table. And in their pain and in their suffering, I want them to know that God has a bigger plan. There's one more. There's one more. He's at our Faribault campus. And um, Tim Parizzo, Tim Parizzo, he's at our, our Faribault campus. And um, you see him in the wheelchair there. And I just want to tell you this. Uh, Tim was a uh, drug dealer. He was a drug addict and a drug dealer. He had a heart attack and he had a blood clot. And in the blood clot, he lost his leg while he was in the hospital. And he lost his leg. He decided, I need to get right with Jesus. It was a black envelope, but that black envelope led him to Jesus Christ. And now he leads our Celebrate Recovery at our Faribault campus. And here's the thing that I would say, oh, would you rather be a drug addict with two legs going to hell or somebody that knows Jesus with one leg knowing your eternity is settled forever? I'm telling you what, God can take a black envelope and make your worst day your best day eventually. So I want to pray for all of us here at all of our campuses. God wants to take your black envelope. I don't know your story, but you do, and God does. And God wants to minister to you in your black envelope. I don't want to preach at you right now, but your worst day could be your best day. And I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. And we will let you discover that. We will not push it on you. We will let you discover that. But I'd love to pray for you. So Lord Jesus, I just pray right now for all of us. We hold black envelopes but we say that our worst day could become our best day eventually. Our worst day could become our best day eventually. And we'll hold on. We, we don't want to ask why. We want to ask what for. And we want to move forward in whatever you have. I pray that people would not think they're always doing things wrong. And it's wrong, 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 wrong. And you're going to punish them with another one in the mail. But God, that you're a loving God. You're the one that takes black envelopes and turns them around and uses them for your glory and for your honor. So help us, Lord Jesus. Help us in the things we didn't ask for to turn them for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.